I'm Kirby Falk, and this is the Kirby Method Podcast. This is the podcast for former athletes looking for something they love as much as their sport, whether it be a career, hobby, side gig, or new exercise routine. This is the Kirby Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Kirby. Hi team, I'm so glad that you all could join us today. I'm really excited. So today I have the opportunity to speak with former collegiate soccer player, um, Ariane Heaton. Ariane, thanks so much for joining me today. You're welcome. So let's jump right in. Can you give us a little backstory of your athletic career? Yeah, so pretty much from the time I was two years old, I was doing something. My mom signed me up from for ballet and tap and immediately you know after like a month of tap i was like this is too loud so i stuck with ballet you know i started doing gymnastics um but around the age of five i started playing soccer and initially i thought it was such a boring game just chasing a ball around the field but um, my mom was like too bad it's good exercise you're gonna finish the season um but you know, I ran cross country growing up. I played basketball, softball, and um, did the whole competitive soccer thing. Um, you know, we won state champs. I did Olympic development teams. Um, you know, I played high school soccer. So I was super active. And probably about the age of 14, you know, when the college search begins, and I'm sure it gets earlier and earlier now, but um, I was kind of like, okay, I need to pick what school I want to go to. And pretty much since I was eight years old and saw Brandi Chastain rip off her shirt in the 1999 World Cup, I was like, I want to be a soccer player. (laughs) I really wanted to play Division I soccer, and um, I ended up choosing a school in Florida, Jacksonville University, because one, it just felt right when I was on campus. Um, I just kind of got that feeling like, yeah, this this is it. And then also I'm from Colorado, and so not having to deal with snow in April or, you know, potentially eight months out of the year, I was sold. So you played uh, in college in Florida. I did. Yeah. It's a, it's a small liberal arts school, but I was fortunate enough to start 78 out of 78 career games. And, you know, I was captain my final season and it was probably like one of my best memories just in life so far. Would love to, you know, jump into our main focus today. So when you think about your soccer career, you know, what's the biggest challenge you faced in transitioning to life after soccer? So this one, this question, you know, pretty much everything for me. Um, I think the big, biggest struggle for me was just the general, like, what's next? You know, I didn't have any type of career info or like knowledge at all about, you know, the opportunities that were out there. I got my bachelor's of science in kinesiology, kind of anticipating becoming a physical therapist. And I soon realized, you know, the population, this idea that I had was high performing athletes. And um, one, I realized I couldn't relate to that because I had never experienced a injury myself, fortunately, but also I just, I just didn't, you know, relate to the, to that, um, population. Cause you know, I did some shadows and it was just some general, um, 
you know, just some general people recovering from surgery. And so that kind of was jarring because I had this plan of, you know, I'll go into the sciences and uh, didn't end up doing that. I also just didn't know how to make friends that were not my teammates. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, from the time I was literally five, my teammates were automatically my friends. I didn't have to try, you know, and go up to them and be like, hey, you're cool. Like, do you want to hang out? You know, that was just, that felt so weird to me as an adult trying to like make that conversation. Um, also, I think once something was hard that you could no longer go to Chipotle and get a burrito, chips and guac. Because <laughs> I wasn't burning like 3000 calories a day. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, just the general exercise too, like finding a gym that was no longer my college gym that was exclusive for athletes really like it was hard for me just having to share equipment with the average Joe and, you know, I don't know, just having to be accountable for myself of like, okay, you don't have to run a six minute mile, but how do I recalibrate my brain to do just like an eight minute mile? And have that be okay that I just did an eight minute mile. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you, I guess, to talk a little bit more about the gym and how, you know, how can I go from running a really fast mile to just an eight minute mile? Um, what did that look like for you? Like what thoughts were going around in your head when you would try to, you know, make yourself slow down and enjoy it a little bit more? It was super strange. Cause I remember training for, you know, a 10 K and I was like, I'm, I, I can't sustain a six minute mile. Let's let's shoot for an eight minute mile. And it took me probably six months to actually get on pace consistently, just because my body would like go into automatic mode and just run, like run, 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 listen to music, keep up with the beat. Um, so, and, but then I would be so exhausted, you know, two miles in. And so it's just taking practice. And also at the gym, like allowing myself no longer to squat like 200 pounds you know, like just do body weight squats or, you know, let's just do the bar. Like I don't need to do some super heavy weight. Yeah. Did you run into any resistance from your own brain when you, uh, would squat less than 200 pounds or when you're trying to go slower, but more consistent, like in your running? Totally. I, it almost felt like some self judgment was going on of like, you can lift heavier weights, you can run faster. Like, why aren't you doing that? You know? So I had to try to just reason with myself almost that like, this is okay. I'm not training for preseason anymore. Yes. And I, I asked because I think this is a really relevant topic or experience that a lot of, you know, former athletes face myself included. I had a lot of self judgment going on. Um, when I, uh, retired from soccer and was trying to transition to a more sustainable, relaxed workout style, uh, and not kill myself, you know, six days a week. Um, so how, what does that journey look like for you? Like in terms of how long did it take to get to, you know, to get rid of some of that, you know, self-judgment or, um, be more comfortable with having a more relaxed workout routine? It probably took a few years, honestly, um, because f 
for a long time, you related your self-confidence and your self-efficacy with how fast you were or how strong you were, you know, according to the girls on your team of like, okay, I'm like in the top five or, you know, so on. And so no longer having people to compare myself to that, I think it helped, but also it was kind of strange to no longer have to like compete against other people because I'm a very competitive person. And so just trying to like talk myself into just competing with myself of like, okay, I ran this lap at, you know, 140, let's make it in 130. Um, So just kind of making it a game with myself has helped a little bit more. Um, But I go through, you know, waves of like, I'm super into working out for like three, four weeks, and then I'll just stop for like two weeks. And I think partly that's just because, you know, my schedule and I'm stressed and, you know, other stuff gets put on my plate. But it's just hard in general to keep yourself accountable when you aren't training for something specific. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and how, like, how do you find that inspiration and motivation? Um, so, yeah, I guess a, a question there would be um, any tips or advice for like finding that inspiration or motivation or accountability for, you know, athletes who are making that transition? Um, I, you know, I wish I had an answer that I truly believed in because it's something that I still don't feel like I'm being successful with. Um, but maybe finding someone that like, you could run with or finding a class that you really like at your gym um, and signing up for it to make yourself accountable to have to go. That's definitely helped of like, okay, you know, I've signed up for this class and if I don't go, then I still have to pay $25 or however much. Um, or at the end of the day, like, okay, I told my friend that we would go run four miles. Like, I'm not going to be that person that, uh, you know, cancels. I think those are some great ideas and, and ones that I've tried to practice myself. <laughs> um, and I've also been practicing, you know, how do I get less from a self-judgment or like punishing mindset to be like, oh, you didn't work out today. Um, you're lazy to more of acceptance of trying to check in with my body and how I'm feeling and do like what, what feels good. It's like, can be a tough balance to find like what's going to serve me today versus making sure I'm still pushing myself when I want to or need to. Right. I mean, we don't need to break our backs anymore trying to, you know, go as hard as we can all the time. And I run into that, you know, if I take like a yoga sculpt class and I'm just like, let's go 150%. And then my face gets bright red halfway through the class. And, you know, the instructor's like, uh, are you okay? And I'm like, you know, I just like, this is how I am. You know, it's all or nothing. So I still struggle with it. Yeah, that all or nothing mindset. Um, I struggle with it too. I think for me, yoga has been, uh, I've gotten into yoga as well. And I now do it two or three times a week. Um, which is very different than when I started not having done yoga at all growing up or playing soccer. I find yoga has been a great way for me to get a little softer with myself. And some days it's, Hey, I'm going to be in child's pose and take it easy. And then other days, you know, like really, really going for it. So. And do you feel like if someone's next to you, like on the treadmill or in the yoga class, you're like, okay, if they're holding this position or if they're running at an, an eight and a half, like I have to run faster like that. I find myself doing that. And I, I'm just like, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's not for 
them. It's for me. Like focus on yourself. I run into the same thing. And I think for me, the key is just trying to bring awareness around that. So recognize when I'm starting to compare to this, like, I'm like, wow, like they're way more flexible than I am. (laughs) And, or like they're holding this pose for a lot longer um, or, or they're not sweating as much as I am. Uh, I run into that like in yoga and then also um, I do some hit classes with air bike and um, weights that are higher intensity. And I, I, yeah, it's a, I think it's a constant practice of just trying to bring it back to me and like what, um, what serves me sometimes like that competitiveness, if I'm feeling good and, and really wanting to push myself, sometimes that can be a good thing. Um, and like using others around me to push myself a little bit more. But then other days it's, uh, you know, I really have to listen to my body in terms of like what I need that day um, and not get too caught up in people around me. So I think it's a tough balance. It's a really tough balance. Um, Yeah. So you, you talked uh, and named like a number of different things um, that you experience and challenges that you face um, transitioning out of soccer and so one of them is, is what we just talked about in terms of your exercise routine and um, moving away from self-judgment um, and comparing yourself to others. And then a couple other ones you talked about were, you know, like career-wise, like what do you want to focus on, like moving away from the sciences? Um, you know, how, how do you find and make friends now that you're not playing uh, soccer, not on that, have, now that you don't have that team environment? And then also that eating component of like, how do I figure out what I can sustainably eat every day? Um, what, like, what sounds good in terms of uh, which one of those you want to dive into a little bit more? I think the one that I really struggled with most was the career one. Yes. So after, uh, you know, I graduated from Jacksonville, um, I kind of realized really quick that I needed to be around people that supported me and that I trusted and were not judgmental of, you know, what I was going through. And I'm a pretty reserved and private person just in general. So it was really hard for me to tell, you know, people that I was still around in Jacksonville that I was struggling. Like I really just kind of uh, turned inside for that. And so I realized pretty quickly that I needed to, you know, make a change that wasn't sustainable. And so I moved home back to Denver. And the one of the most common things in my life has always been structure. And I didn't feel like I had any of that. You know, I was waking up, not have anything to do. Like I would go to the gym, you know, I would maybe go on a run, but that was really it. And so right away I started, I started looking for, a grad program because one that gave me structure and two that gave me another goal to accomplish I'm very goal oriented so I found a local program at University of Colorado Denver for clinical mental health counseling and you know I've gone to counseling myself and I think it's an awesome thing that people can benefit from and right away my first semester you know I have people that are like I want to work with people with eating disorders or people with addiction or And I had no idea, you know, I just was like, you know, I think counseling is great. Um, And I took a career uh, counseling class and everything just kind of came together of like, 
I was this athlete with absolutely no identity outside of being an athlete. And, you know, how can I make a career out of this? And so that's kind of where I've been going these last two years is trying to make people realize that athletes go through such a jarring shift in identity transition that this is a population that needs, you know, support and resources. And I think our society has this view of athletes because, you know, they're so privileged being an athlete, like they're fine, you know, they have all the things that they need. But for me, it kind of felt like when I, when I graduated undergrad that it was like, good luck, thanks, bye. And so my goal right now is really helping these athletes that are either transitioning out of college or professional or Olympic uh, to, you know, give them support and show them resources and really help them explore that identity piece outside of sports. I think that's such an admirable goal. And I think you and I are so aligned on that. (laughs) Like, how can we help athletes, um, you know, transition out of their sport and have a fulfilled um, you know, meaningful life, one that they're excited about. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that journey was for you in terms of, you mentioned like earlier on you were interested in the sciences and then, then you weren't sure what you wanted to do. And then, um, you found, you know, like counseling and and helping athletes in that way. Um, can you talk a little more about like what that journey looked like? I'm thinking of, folks who are listening to the to the podcast um, and part of the community who are trying to figure out like their first step in terms of like I just like retired or I'm about to finish uh, you know playing how do I you know kind of navigate from here like what does that look like yeah so I think the first thing that I would really emphasize is get outside comfort don't try and figure it out by yourself uh, because you're essentially trying to function in a vacuum and, you know, you, that's not sustainable. So whether that's talking to former teammates or alumni that are older than you and kind of how they navigated the transition, you know, like develop a mentorship or just go to your career center and talk to, you know, a career coach or a career counselor about all of the different options out there. I also think just, general self-exploration, whether that's through, you know, talk therapy or assessments, I think that really helps, you know, get all the things that's jumbling in your mind out either on a whiteboard or just saying it out loud helps so much just to alleviate some stress. So I, I think the number one thing I would really emphasize is just get support. You're not in this alone. So many athletes are feeling what you are, you know, and it's very natural to feel like this. But I think if you are committed to, you know, allowing yourself the space to one, grieve that identity that you no longer are an athlete, but also since we, since athletes tend to be very achievement oriented and, you know, hardworking, um, a lot of people are, are destined to be very successful in a career that are athletes, it just takes time to figure out what that is. I think that's such an important point of creating a space for yourself um, to give yourself time to figure it out and not trying to do it alone. I think it can be very isolating as it sounds like you've experienced and I've also experienced in transitioning out of your sport and trying to figure out like, 
what the heck am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, what does that look like? Um, and when, when you think about career and, um, I think this like time, like how long things can take or like understanding kind of your journey and like how long certain things took, um, or are taking is really valuable, um, for, for athletes that, Hey, like this probably isn't like a month or two, right? Like it's a process and it's an ongoing journey. Um, but it's a process and a lot of like the work we're talking about, like the gym, you know, you've been working on that for like the, you know, a couple of years, right. And, and still working through some of that stuff, um, which I am as well. So when you think about career, you know, what did that journey look like in terms of length of time between when you kind of realized the sciences weren't for you and then um, transitioning out and then ultimately finding, um, you know, more of the counseling route? Yeah, so I think if I had allowed myself the space to actually sit with what I was feeling, um, I would be on a totally different trajectory than I am today. Um, because it's probably taken me, I don't know, four or five years to really allow myself to bring up all of these emotions that I felt and, and just give me time and space to process everything. Like as athletes, we're told, you know, don't cry, you know, push through, be strong. So for me, that's, that's another thing that I had to recalibrate of like, showing emotion is okay. And that's something in counseling that is really important as well. But I think um, just giving yourself permission, like I said, um, but with career, it takes, you know, sometimes it takes nine months to like two years. You know, I have students come in, I'm at the University of Colorado, the career center right now, finishing my internship and I have students come in in a session and they're like, I don't know what I want to do with my, my life. Like I need to figure out now and just broaching that like, okay, this is like a big decision. You know, it's probably going to take more than a half hour, 60 minutes, you know, just, it's an ongoing process. Yes. And I think, uh, as an athlete, you're, it's just so when you, when you're playing, when you're competing, it's very black and white what your goals are and what those metrics for success look like in terms of how many goals scored or if I'm a starter or not, or, you know, winning a national championship, those sorts of things. And I think it can be the tendency is, okay, what's my goal? Um, what's my new goal? And I need to figure it out now so I can start working towards it. Um, and I had to learn how to be uncomfortable with taking the space and time to, to find my goal, <laughs> to create my goal, because I went from, that goal being externally presented to um, having to look more like internally in terms of, you know, what the right goal was for me. Right. And I think just having that conversation with younger kids, like even in youth sports is so important and just even reframing it. Like you're not a soccer player, you're a person that plays soccer, you know, and just trying early on to separate an athlete identity with like an individual identity with like, you know, you can have the same values between the two, but I think that conversation will benefit you in the long run if you kind of plant that seed early. Can you say more about the identity piece? Um, like, how do you identify yourself now um, compared to how you identified yourself, you know, when you were playing soccer? So it's, it's hard because still 
I want, you know, if someone's like, Hey, you know, what do you do? Half of me still wants to be like, I'm an athlete. You know, I'm, I played college soccer. So that, I mean, it's still taken a lot of time to separate myself with that from that identity. But like I said earlier, you know, athletes really have their self-confidence and self-esteem based on like accolades they win or performance-based stuff on the field or up on the court. And so trying to separate, you know, those tangible awards or successes from more of just like fulfillment outside of your sport. Um, I mean, athletes, elite athletes have this tunnel vision of they're focused on the end all be all goal of winning a championship, you know, getting MVP, whatever it is. And so a lot of different parts of their life get neglected. And so I think it's really important to try to nurture those other pieces of a person's identity outside of their sport, because even if a person, you know, like Peyton Manning has a great long career and is considered, you know, one of the best quarterbacks ever, he still is facing retirement 30 years before the average person. And so, yeah, he, you know, has a great probably bank account, but at the end of the day, like what's he doing to fulfill himself now that he's no longer an athlete? Absolutely. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a big and great question uh, to reflect on and ask yourself. It's like, what brings meaning to me? What brings fulfillment to my life? Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned, um, you know, giving space and time to really feel your emotions. Can you talk a little bit more about how emotional intelligence and feeling your emotion, you know, uh, fits into the transition for you? So. I, you know, like I said, I'm a pretty private and reserved person. So for a really long time, the only time I would cry was when I was by myself. And like you said, that can be really isolating. Um, But it's this weird feeling after you're no longer an athlete. I mean, you're obviously sad, you're heartbroken, but you also feel this piece of like emptiness. And it almost feels like a part of yourself has died. And that's a really confusing thing to feel because it's not like a tangible person, you know, thing that died or it's just this weird like concept to try and figure out like this part of my life is over and why am I feeling this way, you know, and how do I process and manage all of these feelings? Um, You know, and I think if you don't have a good support system and if you don't have good coping mechanisms that can lead to some bad things, you know, whether that's substances or, you know, binge drinking or mood regulation, like, you know, some pretty serious things can come from that if you aren't able to genuinely process and feel supported and like you have resources. Yes, I think um, I really struggled with that feeling my emotions as well. And I thought crying was bad and um, would resist that. And then it would all build up. And so um, that's a really, you know, an area of interest for myself personally. And I feel like I've really worked on trying to develop those skills over the the years in terms of how do I like let myself feel my emotions and emotions aren't bad um, and they're there. And then like giving space to that um, allows you to actually move through them quicker um, and have, you know, ultimately a, a healthy you know, more positive mindset. 
Yeah, and if it's just such an ongoing thing that you need to work on, I mean, even still, I'll get super stressed with stuff that's going on in the world and my job, you know, and just everything starts to really bubble up and I'm trying to push it down, suppress, suppress, and all of a sudden, like, I'll get, you know, a huge breakout on my skin or like my back will start to hurt or, you know, like I'll have this physical manifestation of my stress and of my emotions because I haven't allowed myself to release them. I get the same thing. (laughs) Uh, My stomach starts to not like me and um, there'll be like definitely physical manifestations of the stress and the emotions that I'm not, you know, allowing myself to process. So even this morning, I actually woke up and I was annoyed because I didn't get enough sleep last night and I felt tired. And I thought to myself, well, I can either be tired and annoyed or I can just be tired. (laughs) So how do I just, you know, like process the annoyance um, and like let that kind of feel it, let it move through me and then just be tired and that's okay. So. Well, good. Um, One question I have for you when we talk about transitioning out of sports careers you know, why do you think it's important to talk about athletes uh, transitioning out of their careers? I think it's such an important thing because for so long it was ignored. Uh, I, I, I really believe in the last like two, three years, there's been this movement around, you know, mental health, especially. But like I said before, uh, you know, people view athletes as privileged and they have this like elite status per se, you know, they stand out on college campuses or people are infatuated with, you know, their lives and, you know, idolize them. And so I think just starting the conversation that a lot of athletes feel this way, you know, 2% of college athletes go pro. So what's happening to the other 98% that you don't see on ESPN or on Sports Illustrated? And so I think just in itself, the validation and the normalizing of a lot of other athletes experience this, that in itself is such a relief. Absolutely. I think that's a great stat uh, to, you know, 2% of athletes go pro. So thinking about uh, you're not alone and thinking about like what's next um, after college. Anything else you want to talk about um, or dive into when it comes to um, transitioning to life post-sport? Um, I don't know. I feel like we've touched on a lot of great things today already. Um, I just think it's okay. If, so like for me, I was, I wasn't in denial that this day would come, but I just was like, I'm not going to deal with it. And so it was this like boogeyman topic that I was avoiding, you know, that just was causing so much anxiety but it was just easier for me to kind of like put it on the back burner. So I think in retrospect, if looking back, if I could do it all over again, you know, I would start in high school of like shadowing, you know, my parents' friends or, you know, I would just reach out to different people of diff- in different careers and try to, you know, shadow them for a morning and talk to them about what they do. Because then that gives you a, kind of an idea of what you want to major in. And within those majors, you know, I know college athletes have no time to do internships most of the time. 
But if you could even just like schedule a 30 minute call with someone or reach out to professors and talk to them about, you know, any colleagues or coworkers that they have in an industry or a field, just to try to help you expand your knowledge about the world of work. I think that's really important to start at a young age. So you're not at this position, you're 22 with no experience and you have no idea what you'd want to do with your life. I wish I had done some of that um, at an earlier age as well. I was able to fit in one internship in my college career that was short because our summers were very short um, with soccer season starting in August. And it was good experience. And I wish I would have had more of that. And I think uh, it's a great distinction to make, too, in terms of are there ways to get some of that experience uh, in high school, you know, prior to college. And um, in addition to that, even if as a college athlete or even as an athlete, if, if you can't commit to an internship, uh, like you mentioned, like a phone call is great or a coffee chat or even trying to shadow someone for a couple hours, I think could be really helpful, too. Yeah. And I think one thing that I struggled with was like, feeling comfortable, like reaching out to those people and, uh, you know, not sure how they would take it or, you know, if they say no or whatever. And I think now, you know, being on the the older side of things, uh, I love getting emails from people saying like, Hey, like, can we chat for 30 minutes about what you're doing? Or, um, you know, can I come in and, and watch a meeting that you're going to do? And so I think, uh, my my point or my message to people listening would be, don't be afraid to ask. Um, I think it. My, I think one of my professors in college said, don't be afraid to ask. You know, for a coffee chat or time on the phone, it's probably going to be one of the more interesting emails they get that day. <laughs> um, so like, why not? And like, the worst they say is no. So exactly, the worst they say is no, and like. All of these people have been in your shoes at one point or the other, even if they're not an athlete. I'm sure they went through somewhat of an identity crisis of like, oh, I I majored in this, but I don't know if I want to go into that. You know, like a lot of people can relate and have empathy just for people that are trying to figure stuff out. And so, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to, you know, make those informational interview calls, you know, make those connections, build your network. Yes. And continuing to do that. I mean, I, I, I still do that, right? When I'm curious about other things or um, curious what other people are doing, uh, you know, asking people to sit down for a coffee chat or hop on the phone. So great. Um, well, I wanted to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Cool. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. The first one, uh, who is an inspirational role model for you? So right now I'm reading Michelle Obama's book, uh, Becoming, and it's one of those books that I just can't put down. I think politics aside, she's just such a relatable woman, you know, trying to navigate being a mom, being a working mom, you know, having a career and also being a wife. Um, You know, I like that she's a big advocate for equality and equity, and it's just such a relatable book of like the struggle of trying to be a type A person in, you know, not necessarily a type A world. And, um, you know, I love that she values family and relationships. So I would definitely recommend that book. It's just a great read. It's easy. It's entertaining. It's interesting. 
I love that book as well. So I recommend it too. Uh, I couldn't put it down. I read it on vacation a month or two ago. So, okay. What role do sports play in your life post sports career? So I'm still super just obsessed with sports pretty much at any, on any team, any sport, you know, I love to stay informed on the latest trades or, you know, what happened that day. That's interesting. Whether that's like benches clear sports brawl and baseball or you know who gets traded to what team um or just like tiger winning the masters you know like i'm super interested and passionate and just love watching sports and especially living in denver we have five different sports professional teams and so um, it's definitely still something that is in my everyday life even though i don't necessarily play Next question is, um, how, how do you define success in life post-sport? This is a hard question because for so long, it was always about those accolades that I was talking about. Um, and so, you know, for so long, it was something tangible that I related success to, like money or, you know, those wins. But I think now, I think defining sport is you know, defining success post-sport is um, trying to be fulfilled every day, you know, waking up excited and just feeling healthy and happy. I think that's like a really big thing I'm trying to focus on, you know, just making my career and just what I want it to be and also just being an independent woman that can support myself. I think that's super motivating. Speaking of motivation, uh, how do you find inspiration? <laughs> I think uh, talking with other people about this is a super inspiring thing that I've realized in the last few months of just like getting together like-minded people and just having a discussion and finding people that you can relate to. It kind of re-energizes me. Um, and also just being outside. You know, I love taking a 15-minute walk or, you know, going into the mountains and skiing or hiking, um, you know, watching the sunset, that definitely recharges me as well. And then I know we've given and you've given a lot of advice, uh, this interview to athletes transitioning out of their sports careers, but any last advice to athletes who are making that transition, or if you could say it in a sentence or two? I think just have compassion for yourself. And also find another active outlet that's away from your sport. So whether that's skiing or like an individual sport like golf or tennis, just find something that's still active, um, but not necessarily super competitive. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I'm really glad we got to chat. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.